0: everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to the Texas Values Report. My name is Nicole Hudgens and I'm the Senior Policy Analyst for Texas Values. We're the largest organization that focuses on faith, family and freedom in the state of Texas. And I'm sitting in for our president, Jonathan Sines, couldn't be in the studio today so we're substituting. For him, but excited to be here. And I'm here with our new policy advisor, Mary Elizabeth. Mary, how are you? Mary Elizabeth, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Good. Well, I know that for those who are listening, it's the weekend or almost the weekend. We've got our Facebook Live going and we're recording uh, here in the studio today and it'll be aired at noon tomorrow on the bridge 11:20. I know we just started the brand new year. I'm having to remember to write out 2019 on everything. But Mary Elizabeth, did you do anything fun for, for New Year's?
1: Yeah, I did. I actually went to a concert. I went to go see Corinne Hawthorne. I don't know if our viewers know her, but she was on The Voice. She made it to, I think, fourth place on that show. Wow. And she did a free concert in Austin. So it was fun to go see her. And uh, there was also a comedian for opening act. So I did have a fun New Year's
0: Eve. How about you, Nicole? I was visiting a friend actually in Tennessee, and got to sit uh, in her cabin and look over the rolling hills of Tennessee. It was a lot of fun. And then we got all dressed up for New Year's, took some pictures, watched some balloons fall, and then had to wake up early for a flight. (laughs) But (laughs) but it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Just being able to relax a little bit before session starts. Um, which I know is going to be really busy, uh, but really exciting. Did you come up with any New Year's resolutions for this year?
1: I didn't. You know, I'm just, you know, looking forward, you know, starting this job. I actually made a lot of, you know, good, positive changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a kind of a new start. And so I'm just ready to continue and, you know, follow God's plan for my life.
0: Yeah. Well, we're so excited that you joined our team. Um Especially excited because it'll, it'll be fun to have somebody else there <laughs> during the late nights of session. we We already warned Mary Elizabeth of what session can be like, but she she was ready to take on the challenge and has done an excellent job. We've already been preparing. the probably the one New Year's resolution though that I've come up with is I'm trying to start to go to bed earlier and wake up earlier. When I was okay. a kid, like I used to be a morning person, and I like the morning, it's just sometimes harder. Uh, for me to to get enough sleep and so that's been my <laughs> new year's resolution I guess you can say but um, but especially getting ready for session because it's it's like a sprinted marathon and for those who don't know the legislative session is starting and in Texas our legislative session we meet once every two years so it's kind of like cramming two years worth of legislation in 140 days So we'll start on January 8th. That's when all the legislators will be sworn in. You'll have um, the governor, lieutenant governor, will be sworn in a little bit later. But on January 8th is kind of the big day at the Capitol. We'll be there meeting with legislators, seeing the swearing-in ceremonies. It'll be a lot of fun, um, probably hearing a lot of speeches. (laughs) But for those who don't know... There are two chambers in the Texas Capitol. There's the House chamber, which is 150 members. And then there's the Senate chamber, which is 31 members. And the really easy way to remember that is there's 150 Psalms and 31 Proverbs. So kind of a fun fact to remember. Um, And we're going to be on the ground every day during session. They're going to be having committee hearings. You know, a bill first gets filed and then it'll get referred to a committee. And then if it makes it through the committee process, then it'll go in the House, it'll go to the calendars committee. If it makes it through there, it'll go to the House floor, be voted on by the House. And then you have a similar process in the Senate. And a bill has to go through both chambers in order to make its way to the governor's office and so that he can sign it into law and really... The way the legislative process in America and Texas was designed is actually designed to kill bills. You want it to be a really thorough process before it can make it to the governor's desk. But the ones that, you know, That have the support can make it all the way through. So it's really important. And during the legislative session, they can start early in the morning and go into the late in the evening. You know, if you have a committee hearing on a really important issue, you may have so many people that are there to testify in favor of a bill or against a bill, and that can go late into the night. And actually, if you want to come to the Capitol and testify on a bill, you can visit our um, website, txvalues.org, sign up for our email list, and then you can also email us at info at txvalues.org. Really exciting. And just a reminder, if you're not signed up for our email list and, want to, and you want to know what's happening during the session, you can sign up for those emails at txvalues.org. And I was just reminded by our amazing communications associate, James, that we actually have a text alert system now. Which is super high tech. Um, <laughs> if you text TX Values to seven nine seven nine seven nine, that's TX Values to seven nine seven nine seven nine, you can get text alerts when an important bill on religious freedom or pro life issue is moved, and you can contact your legislator. You can we can alert you right then when the bill's moving. Uh, it's really, really neat system. So we're going to be there on the ground, keeping keeping an eye on what's happening. We're going to be testifying, helping with press conferences, and informing legislators on the issues of faith, family, and freedom. And want to jump right into some of the issues we're going to be covering during the legislative session. Uh, religious freedom is huge really important you know there's a reason why it's it's the first the first clause of the first amendment deals with protecting religious freedom it's it's the foundation and the cornerstone of our nation and it's so important that it's protected and since we saw the U.S. Supreme Court rule on same-sex marriage we've actually seen an increase of attacks on religious freedom you know, you've got cake bakers like Jack Phillips, who believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. And he would serve anyone who came into his shop and wanted to buy his cookies and his his desserts on the counter. But when he was asked to do to design a cake specifically for a same-sex wedding, he politely declined. But because of that, the Colorado Commission on Civil Rights punished him. And he had to go all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court Um, to to be protected so his religious freedom could be protected. Thankfully, the court ruled in his favor. But we're seeing where even in Texas there are cake bakers like Edie DeLorme, who was also approached to do a same-sex wedding cake. And again, she would serve anyone. She's happy to serve cookies, cinnamon rolls. I've gotten to eat some of the cookies that she made. They were really good. She's happy to serve people. But when it came to designing a specific cake, for a specific event that violated her religious convictions, she politely declined, but then had to obtain legal counsel because of the attacks that were coming against her family. But I know that there have been many other, I mean, you've, people I'm sure watching have heard of the stories of Baronelle Stutzman, the, the florist, or Elaine Photography, photographers. You know, we've got business owner, owners in Texas who are really concerned about their religious freedom being protected. So. We've got those issues going on, but Mary Elizabeth, you know, sometimes we'll hear people say, well, how does this impact the economy? And there was a really interesting study that I know you've done some research on that actually protecting religious freedom helps the economy. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, so there was a study in 2015 by a professor at Georgetown and his daughter who actually works at the museum in Washington, D.C., and they found that, you know, religions do more for the economy than some of the big-name companies like Apple and Google combined, and even Facebook. And so they found that, you know, not only do churches contribute to the economy, and when they studied churches, it wasn't just Christian churches. It was you know, Shinto and Tao and Zionistrian churches also. But they also found that, you know, hospitals contribute to the economy also. They found that the majority of the hospitals in the United States are actually religiously founded hospitals. And I think they found that one in four hospital beds belong in Catholic hospitals. And so not only... That, But, you know, you can consider like certain things that people have to buy in order to follow their religious principles and not just Bibles. You think about the halal food industry for Muslims, you know, that accounts for one point nine billion dollars in the economy. Then for Jews, you know, who need to eat kosher foods, that accounts for one hundred and twenty five billion dollars in the economy. Wait, hang
0: on. Billion
1: dollars? Billion dollars.
0: That's crazy. I didn't realize the numbers were so high. Yeah, it's just for very kosher high. food.
1: Yeah, just for kosher food. And even when you think about halal food, you know, to in order to align with your religious principles, you know, you have to buy these things. And so they're contributing that much to to the economy. Mm-hmm. You know, people are spending more on this, you know, to follow their religion than they are on, you know, Google <laughs> <laughs> devices, you know, to talk to you in their houses. So it shows how important religion is to the economy and if Even if you think about Hobby Lobby or Chick-fil-A, they're faith-based um, corporations. Mm-hmm. So they also contribute largely to the economy. I mean, everyone in Texas eats Chick-fil-A. Come on. So we know that, <laughs> you know, they contribute a lot in revenue. So I think it's very important that we protect religious liberty because if we don't, then some of these businesses can be harmed. And, you know, that's not only is it a free speech issue, but it becomes a free market issue. Mm -hmm. You know, do you have the right to not just express your religious belief, but also be someone who's a salesperson in this country and also be true to who you are, you know, in regards to your religion?
0: Right. You know, what we believe is not confined to the four walls of the church or where we worship. But it's and I've heard the left try to use that term freedom of worship. Well, we actually have the freedom to exercise our religion, and that goes beyond the four walls of the church. It can go into, like you said, you know, the t- everything from the types of food we eat to the products that we buy to things, basic things that we need. So, and I love the Chick Fil A example. You know, talk about an amazing organization, amazing company. You know, that serves everyone. You know, but they should be able to continue to operate according to to what they believe is is right, and we want to make sure that you know, individuals and business owners are protected, that they don't feel threatened by the government or, or by others because of their sincerely held religious beliefs, which I would argue actually makes their businesses better. You know, mm-hmm. you go into to Chick-fil-A and you're going to have an, an amazing experience <laughs> on top of amazing food. So thank you so much for sharing that. And if yeah. I remember correctly, those studies showed that, that religion does more for the U.S. economy than Apple, Google and Amazon combined do for the global economy. Like there's so much that goes into and obviously we're talking about billions of dollars. And that's not, even, you know, you talked about the food, but then you add in the hospitals. You know, you think of Catholic hospitals that are impacted and that they make decisions, you know, that they say they believe that life begins at conception and they shouldn't be forced to to do an abortion you know, they believe that gender is determined, you know, by biological sex. They shouldn't be forced to do a gender transition surgery. Doesn't mean that there aren't other hospitals out there, but they should be able to operate according to their sincerely held religious beliefs. So another issue I know that we've seen is, you know, county clerks who were, who've been forced to do same-sex marriages, um, that they've had a lot of concerns. And even uh, county Clerk in in Hood County was sued because she wouldn't participate in a same-sex marriage, even though the couple received their license um, and and received what they needed. She was still sued, and that's happening in Texas. There are other county clerks who have been threatened simply because they believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. So it's important that we're protecting religious freedom for everyone. Yeah, you know, and one of one of the other issues I think we've seen. And not to interrupt,
1: but also to add, I mean, not just, you know, same-sex marriage, but also the transgender issue. Mm -hmm. You know, in the Georgetown professor's study, they also showed how the YMCA and other charities, Mm -hmm. you know, contribute more to the economy. But we've also seen how, like, the Salvation Army has been attacked for not allowing, you know, transgender uh, individuals individuals try to enter into, you know, a single-sex facility. And so that's also an issue, you know, of— the transgender movement kind of infringing upon, you know, religious values. And Mm -hmm. so even, you know, the same sex, you know, LGBTQ community is saying protest, you know, the Salvation Army, even though they do a lot for the homeless and people who are on drugs and people who need to rebuild their lives. You know, they're saying protest this charity, like this good foundation in communities, just because, you know, they don't agree with the LGBTQ agenda because they agree with the Christian agenda. Mm-hmm. So I think that's another good example of not just the same-sex marriage, but, like, the whole LGBTQ agenda trying to infringe on religious liberty.
0: Right. And a great example of that was, I mean, we're still seeing where Celebration Church, a church in, in Texas, was being protested against because they believed that marriage is between a man and a woman and that, you know... God created human sexuality to be male and female. You know, they believe that. And 95 protesters showed up at their church and tried to threaten that they would not be able to rent a public building. You know, and that's still happening. And it's not some far off issue in California. It's happening right here in the state of Texas. And thankfully, you know, the church continues to stand by biblical uh, principles and they continue to be able to to rent the building that they they've been renting Um, but as you said you know this covers a whole this covers more than just the same sex marriage issue now as what we saw with Obergefell it's gone beyond that you know when people are in a vulnerable state of you know you talk about a shower a locker room a bathroom or you know, a domestic uh, abuse shelter, you know, for women who were who are trying to get away from a harmful situation and being put in a situation where, you know, they were trying to get away from from a harmful situation, but now they're, they feel that they're being in a compromised situation. Um, so really important issue that we're covering. And, and sometimes the way that these issues are played out are because of what are called SOGI policies or sexual orientation, gender identity policies. So you may have a city that passes a sexual orientation, gender identity policy, basically creating a new protected class uh, in, you know, in in a city, city ordinance that when you pass these types of ordinances, then someone can claim, you know, if, if they claim, if they're a man claiming to be a woman and they're not permitted to go into, you know, a woman's shelter or or a woman's shower, they can claim that they're being, quote, discriminated against. What is not being talked about enough is that these women feel that their privacy is being violated in these situations. And there are certainly, I mean, we saw this play out uh, with a SOGI policy in school districts In what happened in Dripping Springs. You've got a little girl who testified uh, last session saying, look, I'm a young girl. I love everyone, but... I don't even let my brother come into the bathroom at home when I'm taking a shower. Why would I let a boy that I don't even know come in? You know, there's a way that we can protect everyone's privacy without infringing on someone else's. So, um, you know, we've we've also seen these Soji policies play out in other situations like sororities. I know that there was a lawsuit that uh, recently was filed. Mary Elizabeth, can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, so several sororities and fraternities are actually bringing a federal lawsuit against Harvard because someone at Harvard uh, came up with the idea that if you're a part of a sorority or fraternity, then in a way you're discriminating against gender because you're in a single-gendered group. And so they said if you're a part of a sorority or a fraternity, then you shouldn't be allowed to receive a Rhodes Scholarship. You shouldn't be allowed to be president of any other organization, and several other scholarships that you shouldn't get because, in a way, you're a part of a discriminatory organization. Now, that comes from the idea that, you know, a boy who probably identifies as a girl or thinks he's feminine wants to join a sorority but wouldn't be allowed because he's not a girl biologically. And so they're saying that in a way that sororities and fraternities are creating an environment or historically are discriminatory. And one thing to note is that it's not just the stereotypical Southern idea of sorority and fraternity. I mean, there are historically Black and historically Latino sororities that are being infringed upon too, like AKA and Delta Sigma Theta and Kappa Alpha, you know, it's any sorority and fraternity you know, that they can think of just the idea that those are discriminatory, like people who aren't sure about what gender they are, don't agree with their biological sex, are being discriminated against, you know, just by the existence of these groups.
0: Right. And pretty crazy. I mean, Harvard's actually had a couple of lawsuits recently. But like you said, it wasn't just so much. And and from what I understand, these are off-campus activities. You know, Harvard doesn't have to endorse certain activities, but now you're telling students, if you're a part of something that's outside of school, then you're not allowed to apply for the Rhodes Scholarship. You're not allowed to be captain of the softball team just because you're part of an all-girls group. I mean, doesn't that go against, you know, what we're hearing, these feminist arguments that are talking about, you know, empower women. How are you empowering women when you're telling them you can't form your own group?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, kind of the formation of sororities in the first place was because there was a need for sisterhood and a need for female mentorship without the interference, you know, of a male presence. Mm -hmm. I mean, not to say anything, you know, bad against the opposite sex, but just to say that this is a way for them to, you know, really feel empowered and Mm -hmm. to really feel like they can focus on academics and the goals for their lives and to see someone
0: like them succeed. And, and shocker, men and women are different, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, so it's, it's good to have, I mean, I know I've, I've got mentors who are women who have been in the policy arena and being able to talk to them and say, you know, how did you balance? How did you handle work-life balance? How did you handle, um, you know, being a woman in, in this arena? Because there are some different challenges and that's okay. We're totally okay with that. But being able to talk to a woman instead of being, in mixed company, there's just something about that. And I think it's even biblical. You know, to, there's there's um, there's scriptures in the Bible that talk about women mentoring other women, older women mentoring younger women. So that's a great example of, of where they're yeah, doing that. and
1: And I think the largest issue is the fact that they're the groups on campus that actually have housing. So mm-hmm. in a way, you're saying that a guy who says he identifies as a woman can live in a woman's house, whereas if he were in like a single dorm room with a woman, like that wouldn't be allowed on campus. But if you're, you know, uh, saying it's a sorority house and you don't want to be discriminatory, then basically a guy can say he identifies as a girl and wants to live in a sorority house. Or even a girl can say she identifies as a guy and live in a fraternity house. And then that creates all sorts of risk.
0: Right. Risks and even just, you know, violation of privacy. And that's one thing that, you know, we continue to hear from parents where kids are being put in these situations. They're being forced to be put in these situations. They don't, they don't have a choice uh, where they can say, hey, I'm uncomfortable with this, with this situation. And even, you know, going back to like showers, for instance, you know, sexual assault victims who are like, we're not okay with being in a locker room or in shower areas with the opposite sex. Doesn't mean that they hate anyone. It's just that they're, They deserve to be able to say, hey, I want to protect my own privacy. I don't want to be forced in a situation where my privacy has to be violated. So, you know, this is just another example at Harvard of where these policies, you know, are being forced on students. And, you know, we've even seen where other groups like the American Bar Association are trying to push through these rules that if you associate with a group that, you know, whether it's a sorority or even a church that believes that, you know, sex is determined by biology, that marriage is between a man and a woman. You, they're trying to punish people for having these sincerely held religious beliefs. And even in Obergefell, of, you know, of all cases, there was a recognition that those who believe marriage is between a man and a woman, that that's a valid belief, you know. So I think it's important that we protect these religious freedoms. But I know that we've we're almost running out of time, but there have actually been bills filed this legislative session that would punish those who believe that marriage is between a man and a woman or that sex is determined by biology. Can you tell us a little bit about those, Mary Elizabeth?
1: Yeah. So some of these bills, you know, uh basically come under the guise of that you can't discriminate against the idea of, you know, that, you know, marriage can be between a man and a man or a woman and a woman, or you can't discriminate against someone who's transgender. But in essence they're basically saying that you have to accept and enforce, you know, these type of principles. And if you don't, then you could face criminal penalties.
0: Wait, hang on. So if you have someone who believes that marriage is between a man and a woman, like a Jack Phillips who says, I'll serve anyone, but just I don't want to be part of a same sex ceremony, they could be criminalized.
1: Yes. More specifically, you know, this is in the housing and labor code. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure if it actually touches on business in particular, but one example would be that, you know, independent contractors for the city, Mm -hmm. you know, if they, you know, find that something goes against their religious belief that marriage is between a man and a woman and they don't comply, Mm -hmm. you know, with the opposite, then they could face an $100 fine per day that they
0: violate that, you know, under the administration code. Wow. And then the housing code could apply to some of the situations that we just talked about. And then we we've I know that there was a bill that was filed last session that it would have impacted even like convents and monasteries, you know. And then I think there was another counseling bill that said if counselors don't affirm same-sex marriage and gender identity, then they can be punished too. So there's obviously some major concern with what's happening during the legislative session. Um, really quickly, you know, you've been working, we've been walking the halls already of the Capitol. How are you feeling about the upcoming session?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's still a little overwhelming. I think we've covered a lot of ground. I mean, we. I was there, you know, the day, the Friday before Christmas, and I was there, you know, right after Christmas at the Capitol, you know, talking to legislators, explaining, you know, our, you know, goals for the legislation, but also gaining some insight from what they're trying to file and what the atmosphere will be this session. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, both of us have been working hard. Um, We think it'll be a very exciting session. So definitely stay tuned. Definitely keep watch and contact your legislators um, if you see anything that, you know, you don't agree with and let them know that you want to get something passed.
0: Absolutely. And we encourage everyone, you know, the next 140 days starting January 8th are going to be so important because what happens in the state of Texas doesn't just impact Texas, but the rest of the nation. These are laws that are going to impact your children. They're going to impact businesses. They're going to impact, you know, what happens in our state in your day to day life. And so I just encourage you go to txvalues.org, sign up for our email list so we can tell you when solid religious freedom bills move forward. You can call your legislator, let them know how you feel about that you can also be alerted when bad bills are coming up and you need to let your legislator know i'm not okay with being forced in this situation as a business owner or someone who works at a homeless shelter so we encourage you go to txvalues.org follow us on social media twitter facebook instagram and again you can sign up for our text alerts at by sending txvalues to 797979 Thanks so much for tuning in to the Texas Values Report. I'm so used to saying Facebook Live, Texas Values Report, and have a wonderful weekend.